This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Listening. Damn. And I mute it. There we go. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Damn Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Machado. And with me, as always, is BeaverBlitz.com beat writer, Jake Hedberg. Jake, how are you today? You know, I'm a little uh, disappointed after last weekend's result, but uh, I've got school starting in two days, so I have that to look forward to. Uh, school starting <laughs> and Utah coming to town. Mm-hmm. We will get to that in a minute. So school starting, what, Wednesday? Wednesday, yeah. Okay, so uh, the house is probably buzzing right now. Everything. Uh, mm-hmm. You did not make it to Washington State, but you did just come from um, Coach Smith's presser. How did that? Give me a quick little rundown on on what you know you thought of that. Yeah, you know he was. I thought he was uh, a little upbeat after the loss, which is which in my mind is a good thing because you know a lot of times coaches and players after a tough loss like that, their attitudes can be kind of deflating. I think having that upbeat and positive attitude kind of will boost the morale. And this team really doesn't have time to sit there and, and hope around because this game on Friday is going to be a tough test. Tough, tough test. So our show today is going to be, we're going to talk Washington State, the loss, what went well, what didn't go so well. Um, Jake has a game ball to hand out to um, his top performer. We're also going to go back and talk about the Pac-12 and and just kind of how overall the Pac-12 did as a whole, go through all that. Um, And then we're going to preview Utah, which is going to be a big, big test, like Jake said. And then we have a lot of mailbag questions. So if you haven't got a question in and you want to jump in, make sure to go ahead and put that in the comments. And we will uh, get you on that. Um, And then we'll also be pulling them from Twitter and from beaverbliss.com. But time to start talking about the loss at Washington state. I think everybody's had a, a day or two to kind of simmer down from that. Um, there was some things I think that should be talked about that went well. Um, but then there's obviously some things that didn't. So Jake, why don't you go ahead and give me your overall game thoughts uh, on that game. And just, I mean, it was a huge lead up and, and everything that that surrounded that game. Yeah. I, I, I kind of thought Oregon state came out flat, you know, um, last week or two weekends ago now, excuse me, against San Diego state, there was a little funk. It seemed like something was off, you know, just the team wasn't really playing like they had the first two games. And that kind of carried over into the first half, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I mean, everything we've seen from Trent Bray's defense in his year and a half now as defensive coordinator has been positive. And right out of the gate on Wash- or on Saturday, Washington State had no trouble moving the football. Uh, Cam Ward had the best performance from an opposing quarterback against Oregon State that I remember in the last since Bray took over, um, and that was really disappointing to see for a defense that was supposed to be the strength of of this squad. Um, I do feel like there are questions in the secondary that still need to be ironed out, particularly that second cornerback spot. Um, you know, Tyrese Ivy got picked on at the start. Uh, he lasted maybe a drive and a half. Jermod came in, same thing, and then. Um, they've eventually shifted Ryan Cooper over to the other corner spot. And it'll be interesting to see how they do that against a Utah team that really hasn't thrown the ball well. Um, so I'm intrigued to see how that kind of plays out throughout the week. Yeah. It's kind of been a work in progress. And I think coach Bray is kind of just moving guys around trying to figure out who is going to perform at the top level during a game. Um, but you're right. That game started, um, you, uh, Washington state scored the second play of the game and then came back and scored another touchdown. I mean, before Oregon State really looked like they were ready to start playing a game, it was 14-0. They dug themselves into a hole. Mm-hmm. Um, Oregon State really started – I thought I thought they started in a real uh, – in a zone and a soft defense. 
They tightened that up in the, in the second half, but tackling was still kind of an issue. Yeah. Um, you know, wrapping up. I mean, John McCartan had Ward for a, a sure tackle, a sack yeah, for a loss. Sack. And then he slipped out of that. I mean, there was kind of uncharacteristic, I would say, from a mm-hmm. Ray defense. The, yeah, the one touchdown catch, too. Uh, I think it was Josh Kelly's first one, maybe a second. The 10-yard curl or 10-yard out on third and 10 from the 50-yard line, he breaks – seven, eight tackles and scores. And that's something we haven't seen since Bray took over. Um, it's something Oregon State fans are really familiar with, with the whole Gary Anderson and then the start of the Jonathan Smith era. But it was it was disappointing to see that. Um, kind of thought that was kicked out of the system and they need to clean that up. Yeah, yeah. So offensively, it well, I'm going to go back to defense because I will say a lot of things kind of went just – the ball bounced for the Cougars. You know, I, I think back to when Dennis Erickson was at Oregon State, he would talk about, you know, you can have the best team in the world, but you need the ball to bounce your way a few times. And I mean, yeah. would we see three one-handed catches from the Cougs, two or three? Three um, one-handed catches and the doinked in field goal. And the doinked in field goal. Yeah. So, I mean, some days it's just your day. And, and then as Eric likes to say, just any road game in the Pac-12 is going to be a, a tough test, especially a, a team as good as Washington State. I do think we saw Cam Ward, that we expected to see last year. Yeah. Um, I think he's really kind of settled into the system and um, definitely is, I mean, top one of the top quarterbacks in the conference. I mean, I know he hadn't been yeah. in that discussion, but I think he has earned that. I think the Cougars have earned the discussion too, to be one of the top teams. Um, offensively, um, passing game still looks a little out of sorts. What did, what did you see from your vantage point? Uh, yet again, what bothered DJ at Clemson was inconsistency and that, through four games, that sure seems to be the case. You know, game one, he came out and looked phenomenal, 20 for 25, two, two three touchdown passes. And then ever since then, he just looked a little a little shaky. I, I did think that that one drive that TJ had um, at the end of the game was the was the best he's thrown the ball. Um, that's something that is promising if DJ can play like that. Um, I do feel like the tempo there kind of helps him. Um, yeah. You know, he's used to playing in the tempo and that was brought up today in, uh, the, in Jonathan's press conference. But that is something I would really like to see is them try and move a little faster, especially against a, a Utah team that's strength is their defensive line and they're going to take away the run. So, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I did, too. I, I that was one of my complaints in watching the game. And and I made a tweet midway through the game that I thought I felt Oregon State was being outcoached. And there's a couple of people that called me out on that and told me I was wrong. I I just don't think that Coach Lindgren and staff is playing to DJ's ability or to yeah. his strengths. They're trying to force DJ into being this full-on pro-style drop-back passer, which he can be, but he also can move the ball. And, I mean, mm-hmm. there was that gamble on fourth and one where I still don't understand why they didn't just run DJ. You have a 6'4", 250-pound yeah. quarterback. Um, but I, I do feel that DJ's strength is that no huddle, hurry up, offense and we saw him excel in that the final drive of of the beavers possession in the fourth quarter yeah you know to me the play calling also at times was a little um inconsistent and weird almost the the drive that comes to mind right off the bat is the when it was 35 14 with like five minutes to go in the, the third at that point you're playing from behind you need to score and score fast oregon state went on a six minute drive granted they scored but by then that's a lot of time. It was 13 minutes left in the fourth quarter, down down two scores. Maybe if they scored faster, they would have had more time at the end of the game to potentially uh, go on a game-winning or tie-in drive. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, Plus. again, on the, the the one drive with DJ, uh, when DJ threw, threw the ball over um, Damian's head, they had the ball second and four at the at their own 32-yard line, something like that. They passed the ball three straight times. If you have Damian Martinez, Deshaun Fenwick, and TJU at that point in the game, run the ball. If you get the first down, it it was just very and you're averaging over five yards a carry. Yes, yes, that too. And the Washington State front seven hadn't shown. I mean, Oregon, especially Deshaun Fenwick, he ran all, all over Washington State. In my mind, that's just not great coaching. Yeah, and and then the passing game. You know, I, I saw a lot of people down on DJ, but watching the receivers, I mean, they were being pressed from the line of scrimmage. So in my mind, I go back to, and I've had this argument. I mean, I've covered the team a long time. So um, it, it kind of takes me back sometimes to the Danny Langsdorf era. Um, 
but then they'd always get back to it is if you have small, fast receivers, the whole point is to get them the ball in space, mm-hmm. get them the ball in space by fly sweep by screens or slants, run them in motion. I mean, we saw tons of motion, but they didn't run anything off of it. Yeah. Um, I just think that there's so many things they could do and granted it's not, not all going to work, but there's ways of keeping the defense honest. I mean, they were stacking the box half the night and Oregon state was missing receivers left and right. So um, hopefully it was just a good learning experience for everybody. The road is hard. Washington state's a good team, but it's not going to get easier as Mm -hmm. this season, as the season progresses. Yeah. I mean, personally, I think I would like to see the coaching staff get the tight ends more involved. Um, Jack Velling, Jermaine Terry are two great tight ends and through two games, they have, they have a combined eight catches with Jack, with Jack with seven of those. I feel like, especially with Anthony and Silas, both being five, eight, five, nine, those big bodies, Jack at six, four, two, two forty, Jermaine Terry at six, four, two fifty. Those are guys th- that are physical and against safeties and potentially even corners. That's a big time mismatch that they need to take advantage of. Jack Velling in particular. Yeah. He's well, a guy Riley who, Sharps had two two major catches. I mean, one touchdown yeah. and then had a huge first down catch. Yeah, another guy, Sharp. And then even like a Bryce Caulfield type player. I it, it just to me, the tight ends are a strength on his team and they need to be more involved in the passing game. And that's that's something that hopefully gets um addressed this Friday. Yeah, and that's a great point. You know, that's we talked about during fall camp that that was going to be one of the strengths for the you know the over the middle passes, the the big body receivers is going to be the tight end game, and we're just not seeing that. I, mm-hmm. I don't know really kind of what they're waiting for on that because that should be a strength. Um, okay, what went well in your your mind besides that two minute drill? The run game, uh, Deshaun Fenwick in particular. I thought he ran harder than Damian did yesterday or Saturday. I thought Fenwick, man, he must love playing up in Washington state. His best two, arguably his best two games at Oregon state have been uh, against, against the Cougars and Pullman, but uh, a guy that averaged nine yards a carry a hundred plus yards and three touchdowns. He, he had a great game. Um, uh, I thought the offensive line did well in the run blocking. Again, the pass blocking was a little um, streaky again, inconsistent. DJ didn't have as much time as, he didn't game one or two, um, which is something I'd like to see touched up. And then again, I thought Oregon State did a good job stopping the run. Um, Cam Ward wasn't able to run as much as he may have liked to. Um, granted, he was able to sit in the pocket and just pick apart the secondary, though. Pick your poison there, I guess. Mm-hmm. So yeah. does it surprise you? You know, you're talking about the the pass the pass protection from the offensive line. Does that does that surprise you? It really does. I mean Washington State does have two great defensive ends in um, Ron Stone and Brennan Jackson, but you know, coming into the season, everything we had seen really showed Oregon State's offensive line as being a top class blocking unit in the country. And it, it's not like they've been terrible; it's up to the Oregon State standard that's been set over the last five years with Coach M. It hasn't been as good as prior seasons. Yeah, I, I'm surprised. I am surprised by that, though. Run run blocking has been stellar, but yeah, just um, just yeah. some, and you know. It's not going to get any easier, too. Jonah Ellis had three and a half sacks last week alone. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Utah, they're the strength of their defense. They're is calling always cards. the front seven. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that is just what you know that you're going to be physical up front when you when you play the Utes. So yeah. um, it's going to get tough. Um, it's like I said, it's not going to get easier um, anytime soon. Um, I have to, you know, another thing I thought was very. I mean, Oregon State was down and. They really never got momentum in that game, but for them to fight back, yeah, um, I thought showed a lot of hearts. I thought, um, I, I thought it showed just the the determination of these guys. Yeah, that was um, good to see. You know, they could have very well just rolled over, let Cam Ward do whatever he wants, whatever he wanted to, and it could have been a game that ended up, you know, fifty six twenty one, fifty six twenty eight. But they stuck with it. They battled, which is it's always good to see that kind of fight, especially in a team or especially from a team um, that's playing down on the road against a top 25 team. So props to them for sticking with it. Yeah. So Nick Volker in the, in the chat, uh, YouTube chat, uh, WSU was sending a mess of a rush the whole game. They dialed in on the interior left of the line and overloaded it almost every play. And that's, you know, what's interesting is, and I'm sure everybody's going to dial in on this too, is looking at DJ's targets. He was going left. 
basically yeah. the entire He likes night. to throw to the left. So, you know, you're, you're putting pressure on that left side of the line. Um, so that's, that's going to be a tendency now that people are going to scheme and Oregon State is going to need to, to look at that. One thing I did think was interesting today, Coach Smith, and I know, I mean, I haven't called for this because I think the most popular guy on any roster is the backup quarterback at any time. But it was interesting today because um, I think it was Nick Daschle asked yeah, if there was, was any nice. thought was nice. of playing Aiden Childs. And I know that came up in the lodge and and he said they may, but DJ's the starter. I mean, it was there was no question. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy can can fling the ball and he can run an offense. He has I, I did like how cool and calm he was, you know, watching him lead that um, two minute drill. He there was no um, excitement. He was dialed in was- and ready to go. That was the best football I think I've seen him play. Was I, I agree. I, I think it was tremendous. And but that's that again, it made me and I talked about it today. And that's what she said. My kind of my postgame thoughts is the fact that I think Oregon State needs to maybe tweak the offense to really go toward those strengths of DJs. That yeah, no huddle, let Shotgun. him just play some ball. Yeah, let him just play the ball, play ball, little zone read, um, and take off and run if he needs to. So, um, you mean, you never I, want a guy to get hurt, but I know a lot of times Oregon state has always been in that mindset of you don't want the quarterback to run because you don't want him to get hurt. Oregon state has Aiden Childs in the wings. So like I yeah. said, not that you want DJ to get hurt, but I think you have to use that strength of his, that he can be mobile. He can run a no huddle offense and, uh, you know, change some tempo there. Um, I think could be ben- very beneficial for Oregon state, even, especially against Utah. Yeah. I- I would love to see Oregon State work from the shotgun a little more. Um, and I think it suits DJ's skill set better, and it gives Dame still. It's not going to affect the run game too much, I don't yeah. think. I, In short, yardages, sure, put him under center, put Hodgins up full back. But in passing downs, in second and nines, second and eights, get to, I would get DJ in the shotgun, split out Jack Valley and Jermaine Terry, and, just let, and let DJ just go to work. Yeah. And put one of those other guys, put Ant or Cybo in motion and, and let him, mm-hmm. you know, create some create some mismatches yeah. there. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I think we I think we need to see more the motion, um, up tempo, just you know, so a little bit more confusion and not just try to to either go deep or run it down the throats. Yeah. Okay. I anything- think at this point I, I think at this point Oregon State also really needs a third receiver to step up and take that spot. You know, out uh, it's very clear and obvious that Silas and Gould are number one and two. But outside of that, I mean, there's a handful of guys, whether it is a Josiah Irish, uh, a Jeremiah Noga, Trent Walker, a Zach Card, a Jimmy Vallison, one of those guys, Oregon State can't just depend on two guys. They need a third. I mean, if you look, there's no team that's successful that has two, two pass catchers. Yeah, they need yeah. more guys to step up. And, you know, in, in preseason or non-conference, it, I think they had seven or eight each game. So yeah, um, right. Only two receivers caught passes on Saturday, just golden bold. Yeah. I mean, let's see. Josiah was targeted, but dropped. Yeah. There was card wasn't targeted. Yeah. Noga barely played. I don't don't think Trent got in. Yeah. So um, interesting. So um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this team gets up. I do love the fact that they're playing at home. Friday night game is going to be rowdy. Um, mm. I, I just heard it's a sellout now. There's standing room only yeah. tickets available. So that'll be fun. And and all the students, Jake, I know, you know, you're a student down there. Is, is the buzz, is it, is it strong down there? Yeah. You, you know, uh, it was dampened a little bit after yesterday's or Saturday's game, but um, there is still a vibe where, Hey, we're still ranked in top 25. There's a top 10 team coming to take Corvallis. And Coach Smith said this today in his press conference. This team really feeds off the energy of the student section. And I truly believe at this point that Reister Stadium is one of the best home fields to play. Oregon State's lost one game since I've been a student here at Reister and very well should have, could have won that game. So um, USC last everyone's year? excited. Yep, that was the one. Yeah, so um, I, I agree, and I and that's I think like what Eric says too. It's, it's Oregon State's one of those places. I mean, Martin Stadium, Washington State's tough. Some of those home fields are are really um, tough places because of the student section, because of the fan base. So um, I'm excited for an evening game. Maybe see those yeah. LED lights in action. I think it should be a lot of fun. Um, Friday night. What surprised you about this game, about Washington State? 
Really, the Oregon State secondary. Um, there were question marks. They look the starting secondary looked great the first two games. They held Chevin Cordero in check. They held House Hastings in check for the most part uh, against Jalen Maiden. They held him in check. But Cam Ward is obviously a way better quarterback than that. Josh Kelly and Kyle Williams are better receivers and plain and simple. Washington State just ate the Oregon State secondary out. There was he Cam and Ward could pretty much do whatever he wanted. There was never any. Um, issues for him. He could drop back, sit in the pocket, and, and just get to work. And again, I feel like Oregon State's pass rush struggled in that aspect. They could have helped the secondary out there, um, and that was disappointing to see. Um, before the game, I I tweeted on Twitter um, keys to the game: don't let Cam Ward Cam Ward Cam Ward get comfortable, and third down conversions. And if you look at it, Cam Ward got comfortable. He was able to throw for 400 plus yards and five total touchdowns. And Washington State didn't punt once. So yeah, that's if, uh, if one of those things go the other way, then potentially this game has a, a different outcome. What? Okay, so Oregon State. Well, they, the Cougs did a couple trick plays, a couple fake, fake kick, mm-hmm. fake punts. But um, Oregon State did two onside kicks. Last one, I'm not going to argue. It actually went really well. Mm-hmm. The first onside kick, I thought it was too early. I thought that was. I thought you should yeah. play the field position game on that one. Um, what were your I thoughts agree. on that that play? I'm the same way. I thought they should have um, onside kicked. Granted, it did work out. They got the ball back, but maybe they don't get the ball at their own two-yard line and have to work 98 yards. Maybe they get it back at their their 40, so they have to go 60 and still save clock, maybe keep a timeout or two uh, along the way. Um, and then the other one, I thought Atticus executed perfectly. You know, it was very close. It Being an onside kick, being on the onside kick team in those situations, it's a lot tougher than people think. Um, for like a guy like Jake Reichel where the ball was right under him, there's no way. Uh, that's incredibly hard for people to, you know, kind of call him out like that. In my mind, is uh, childish and stupid because it's very difficult. And there was a whole pile. The ball's wet. Probably it was probably raining up there. It, it was a tough. It was it was a tough break that very well could have gone the other way. Um, Eric F says, run the damn ball. <laughs> when you get behind though, when you get behind too yeah. much, it gets a little hard. You have to, you have to throw some too. try to catch can't up. Be one dimensional. Can't be um, okay. So even in a loss, who got your game ball? Yeah. Offensively hands down to Sean Van Wick, um, 101 yards, three touchdowns. He's, he ran the ball better than Hamian did and the Washington state defense couldn't stop him. Um, it was good to see, you know, the first couple of games, his carries kind of got cut back on. And I yeah. feel like that made him hungry. It made him ready to chomp at the bit. And he got the call and he played really well. And then defensively, uh, I'm going to go with Sione Lolohea. I thought he was one of the bright spots. He did a good job um, applying pressure. He had two tackles for loss, um, combined with Jaden Robinson for a sack. And then he also um, knocked the ball to Cam Ward's hand. Cam Ward's hands, which was a, which led to a turnover, and that kind of kept Oregon State in in the game. If that didn't happen, Washington State probably would have scored, and the game wouldn't have been as close as it was. So, props to those two guys. Yeah, um, I also thought um, Calvin Hart had a, had a yeah. good game. I thought both inside line hackers really had a good game. I was um, those two in terms of position group might have had the best day in my mind. Okay, so switching gears a little bit, it was a big week in the Pac-12 yeah. in general. Eight ranked, Very big te- week. eight ranked teams started the uh, start at the weekend. Um, so we're going to just kind of go the week that was. We're going to talk about those games a little bit. Talk about this coming week uh, slate of games, and then we're going to jump in and talk Utah. So the week that was, Utah number eleventh ranked Utah beat number twenty two ranked UCLA fourteen to seven. Did that game – I didn't watch that game, but did that surprise you at all, the, the outcome of that game? Uh, I'm not surprised Utah won. Uh, I am surprised they held a UCLA offense to seven points. Um, they made Dante Moore look like a true freshman quarterback. Um, their their pass rush was really uh, – that last drive in particular, they had three sacks, I think. they they There was no time for Dante to get comfortable. Um, I do think this – Utah offense at the moment is a little one-dimensional, which with Cam Rising's potential return is going to be is arguably the biggest storyline for Friday's game. Um, I, I wasn't overly surprised. Um, not super impressed with 
the Utah offense, but man, that defense is legit. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you see another, well, we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, okay. So the game I watched after my, my kiddos game was number 10, Oregon at number 19 or um, versus number 19, Colorado. Um, I called that the hype bowl because, oh my God, yeah. seriously, you had Oregon hype, you had Colorado hype. Um, I really didn't know who I wanted to win that game to be completely yeah. honest. Um, I was very conflicted. I texted <laughs> my mom. I was like, am I rooting for the ducks right now? I couldn't tell. It was very weird, but um, yeah, it, it was kind of a strange one, but um, in the end, Oregon prevailed like <laughs> easily 42 to six. Um, yeah. So Colorado drops out. They have USC this coming week. So um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's kind of what I think a lot of people kind of thought might happen, but um, still, I mean, what, what Deion Sanders has done, you know, just kind of still changing. noteworthy. It, yeah. it is very noteworthy, but the, crazy amount of hype that the media was packing on them was unreal. Um, yeah. I, Arizona Stanford. Oh, go ahead. I think Oregon does look really good, really good right now. Granted, we don't know if Colorado is as good as they were, were expected to be, but um, that game next Saturday or October 14th, Oregon against Washington. Washington. That's one I'm really looking forward to watching. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge one. Um, Arizona Stanford. I think Stanford may be the worst team in the conference. And they actually they held Arizona, San, Arizona. Yeah, they, they held twenty one Arizona won twenty one to twenty. Stanford was Stanford was up at halftime too. And I was you know, I didn't get to watch this game, but I was uh watching the end of the Oregon State game and I, I got a notification. I was talking to my friends, I was like, Stanford's up on Arizona and we were all very confused because Arizona had appeared to be maybe in that next tier behind you know, maybe in the same tier as a UCLA team in in the Colorado, but they played terrible against Stanford. And Stanford is, in my mind, a hot mess. Um, yeah. I don't know if they're built to compete in this era of college football, which is really quite unfortunate because when Stanford's good, it's good for the sport. Yeah, um, yeah. Not a whole lot to take away from that one besides Arizona may not be the surprise team of the Pac-12 that, that I thought they would be. Yeah, but, you know, Oregon State has to play them on the road the end yeah. of October. So, who? I mean, all that's Who knows then. by then? Yeah. Um, it's only been a week. So, the other one, that so ASU looked, again, like hot mess. <laughs> and USC, number five at the time, number five ranked USC goes into ASU. And that was actually a tight one for a while. Yeah. USC ends up winning 42 to 28. But still, ASU put up 28 points against USC. USC's defense is horrible. Yeah. I think Alex Grinch needs to be left on – Alex Grinch needed to be left on the tarmac after that one. That was a <laughs> disastrous defensive performance. If you're putting Drew Pine throw or score 28 points on you, and not a knock on Drew Pine, but if you're a top 10 team, you should be five. Able they to were hold. top five. Top five team, yeah, top yeah. five team. You should be able to hold a team that just got shut out by Fresno State to at least 10 points or less. And yeah, Arizona State could move the ball very well, and that. I don't. I don't think SC is a top two team in the Pac-12 right now. To be honest, I, I think both Washington and Oregon have been more impressive. Yeah, I, I Washington State is right. I mean, yeah, I, I Washington agree. State. I, you could argue too. Yeah, I, I mean, seriously. I mean, and Utah. defense is going to win in Utah. I mean, defense is going to win a championship. I agree. Washington, Oregon. I think Washington right now is the cream of the crop. Yeah, um, I think as far Washington as overall. You know, best team. I think Washington might even. Be, be the best team in the country right now. No team in the country has looked overly impressive. Georgia's looked – they haven't really played on anybody, but but they almost lost to South Carolina. Michigan's been average per their standards. Ohio State did sneak out a good win over Notre Dame, but no team's really dominated everyone the way that Washington has. And I think that at this point, Michael Penix is the Heisman frontrunner. I mean, yeah, it's it's really crazy how good that, uh, that passing game is. And – Oregon State is going to have their hands full come November with that one. Yeah, yeah. So that that was the last game of the week. It was number eight Washington versus Cal. Washington ran away with that one, fifty nine to thirty two. Um, and the game was not that close. No, and that's just it. Michael Penix is averaging like four hundred yards a game, and like and he's only touchdowns. playing, and he's only playing two or three quarters. It's yeah. nuts the, Cal, the productivity. Cal kept their starters in pretty much that whole game, and they were going up against Washington's threes and fours and. Yeah. Washington still was able to win by almost 30 points. I, I've been very impressed by what Kalen DeBoer has done with that program. And um, Washington 
looks like the cream of the crop. Yeah. Um, here's a here's a, a comment in the chat. Nobody has gotten pressure on Penix. If you can yeah. get pressure on him, it will be their Achilles heel. But, That's a um, big time if though, because they have a great offensive line. They're yeah. They're really Ryan Grubbs uh, is a great offensive coordinator. They've all that scheme, whether it's in the passing game or up front, they look dynamic. Yeah, and I, I just don't think I've seen a more complete team. No, it, yeah, because they have a great defense too. Yeah. Their their pass rush, their secondary lost a few guys, but they're still experienced and good. Their linebacker core is too deep with like legit starting caliber guys. They are Washington is my pick to win the Pac-12 at the moment. Okay, there you go. So this week, some interesting matchups. I, I, I mean, I do think the the top game of the of the week is going to be Friday night in Corvallis, yeah. number ten Utah uh, at number nineteen Oregon State. So yeah, doom and gloom after Washington State, but Oregon State still ranked number nineteen. So yeah, being I think a number- it might be the. I think it might be the best game in the country, period. Uh, yeah, it's kind I mean, of a it down is, week. It's either yeah. this or Notre Dame-Duke, and which is a good game in its own Yeah, that's right, a good but. game, too. Um, so, no, I mean, I think this game is huge. It has huge ramifications. And if Oregon State's able to knock off a number 10-ranked team, they're right back, you know, mm-hmm. in a, as a top 15 team. So um, oh, yeah. that's Friday night. Oregon State is a three-point favorite. Do you like that, that odd? I'm kind of surprised. Um, that line kind of tells me that, Vegas isn't confident in Cam Rising playing on Friday. I think if Cam Rising goes, then Utah's favored. Um, but there's just too much uncertainty. They're, they haven't really – they've been really a one-dimensional team for the most part, and that plays to Oregon State's advantage because their secondary is not great. Um, so that that's promising that Rising's um, listed as not playing – or not listed, that Vegas is kind of – and at least I'm assuming the reason is that yeah. – He's not playing. So. Well, even if he does, though, he hasn't played in months. Yeah. So, um, and, and it's it's always interesting when a guy comes back from a knee injury, especially a you know an ACL, because it takes him a game or two to really start trusting that it's it's mm-hmm. solid. And there's always that thought in the back of your mind that one wrong plant, one wrong hit, and boom, it could be again. So it'll be it's I'm I'm interested to see. I think it's going to be a game time decision. He did warm up in pads this weekend, but took him off. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he does play. So um, Saturday, then we have number eight. Ranked. So USC fell. They beat ASU, yeah. but still fell three spots. Number eight, USC at Colorado. Um, that is the big noon game. I think I think ESPN, I think it's been a game day or a big noon game four <laughs> times this season. Or at yeah. least the big noon crew has been there. Crazy. Yeah, because the big noon was there the first three weeks. and. Yeah. And game day was their week three, and then yeah, game, and, and now big now Big Noon is there five. again. So um, four so times for Big Noon. USC is a twenty-one and a half point favorite. I I don't think this one's close. I I think Colorado is going to be going to be able to put up points just because I think like it, it, I think USC's defense is atrocious. Um, but there's no way they're stopping Caleb Williams, Zach Branch, Taj Washington, Brendan Rice, all these skill players. Um. I think you're going to see a high-scoring game. I, I think Utah still covers, but I feel like this game might be in like the 70 to 28, 70 to 35, just points, 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 points. Because I don't see – I think Shadour Sanders – <laughs> Yeah. I think SC's defense is better, but still not. not the level okay, so then ASU at Cal. Cal's a 12-point favorite there. Um, a 12-point? Cal is? 12-point, yeah. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Um. Number nine, Oregon at Stanford. Oregon's a 27 point favorite. And then um, number seven, Washington at Arizona. UW's a 17 and a half point favorite. Hmm. Nothing there that really. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to watch the Washington Arizona game. I feel like that'll be. Um, I think Washington still wins comfortably, but, you know, it's the desert at night. Crazier things have happened. Jaden Delores played against Washington before. Um, think Washington still wins, but it'll be a fun game to watch. Yeah, definitely be a fun game to watch. Two teams okay, so, like to throw the football. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be um, <laughs> air raid central there. And yeah, Pen- okay. Do you think Penix plays the entire game? Mm, that's, that's a good question. I think Dylan Morris gets the last drive. Okay, but Penix plays most of the game. Plays most of it. Okay. I mean, at some level, they have to have him go a full game just to get yeah time. You know, but, um, yeah. So, okay, if you're watching us live, we're going to take a quick break. Um, 
for the podcast side of things. But if you are not a member of Beaver Blitz, it is a great time to join the lodge. We had, gosh, our game thread this week was crazy. We had <laughs> yeah. about 15,000 views on that. Great discussion. Um, definitely um, join beaverblitz.com. You can get your first month for $1. Uh, big season ahead and then go right into basketball and baseball season. So um, it's never a dull moment at beaverbliss.com. And we will be right back on the Dan podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And welcome back to the damn podcast. Had a quick break. We've talked about the Washington State loss. We have talked about the entire Pac-12. Now it's time to jump in. And Jake and I need to talk Utah. We've kind of touched on a few things about Utah, but we need to jump in and really kind of dig into the Utes. First thing I, I see when I, when I think of Utah, when I, when I watch Utah and I see Kyle Whittingham is, and he even alluded to this on his weekly um, mm-hmm. press conference today, is the fact that Jonathan Smith at Oregon State really has kind of built um, this his his whole scheme, everything very similar to what Whittingham has done in his 19 years at Utah, in that it's a very tough-minded, defense-oriented, run-oriented um, team. And uh, we've seen year-after-year success there with the Utes. Um, looking at their schedule, they beat Florida 24-11 to start the season at Rice-Eccles. They beat Baylor 20 to 13, beat Weber State 31-7, and last week again beat UCLA 14 to 7. No major, I mean, their defense is good. Yeah. <laughs> Very um defense defensive uh oriented. I, I think the biggest question, and this is just kind of the this is the overriding question I think everybody has, is the fact that Cam Rising is will he play? Yep. That's the biggest storyline of this game. If he plays, Utah's turns into a two-dimensional team where they'll be able to throw the ball. Uh, another guy is Brant Keithy. He hasn't played yet either. He's a great tight end, one of the better Pac-12, one of the better tight ends in the Pac-12. And if he plays, it's another game changer that'll help the pass game. But this defense is unreal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, what stands out to you when you when you see Utah? What stands out to you? Just their defense. I mean, what offensively talk to me about what, you know, even without, without Keithy and without rising, they, they're still putting up some points and they're, yeah. they're four and They have a pair of two, they have two really good running backs. Um, Jaquin and Jackson is a tank. He's a big kid. He played quarterback at Texas, transferred to Utah to play quarterback, was behind rising. Some other guys switched to running back and Towards the end of last year, he started to take over that role as their primary back, and he's ran away with it this year. He's a still hasn't scored a touchdown yet, but he's a physical guy. He's a guy that Utah's going to rely on, especially if Rising can't go. And then Jalen Glover's their other back. He's a smaller guy, I think five seven, five eight. He's from Florida. He's quick, fast. They have a they have a good running back duo. And adding on top of that, Nate Johnson, their current quarterback, he's he's a threat with his legs. I know. Oregon State was going after him pretty hard before they got Throckmorton in 22. Um, but with the, between those th- those three guys, those are three consistent threats to get f- big chunk yardage pickups um, running the ball. Um, so that's really offensively what stands out. And then they also have a true freshman wideout to keep an eye on. His name's Mikey Matthews. He's he's going to be a special one. Um, 
and Oregon State secondary needs to, to kind of take him out of of the game on Friday. Do you think Oregon State's front seven will be able to get to Johnson? I don't know how much pressure. I think this may be more of a contain like Jalen Maiden, less pressure or less pressure in terms of getting to the quarterback and less pressure of keep and more keeping him in the pocket where the front seven can kind of push um, and corral him and contain him because he's a guy that's going to scramble and get out of there. Um, that's what I'm seeing. I feel like the more important test is going to be Oregon State's defensive line against the running backs. Okay. And, and do you, how do you think they'll hold up? Because that's, that is the strength of Oregon State's defense is yeah. run defense. Yes, it really is. But they haven't played a, or even a pair of running backs as good as um, that the Utes have. So it'll be a big test. I'm confident in guys like Joe Golden, Hodgins, Rawls, Sione to stop them, but they're going to have their hands full for sure. Yeah. Totally different. I mean, that's, that's the, mm-hmm. the hard part about the PAC 12 is that the teams are also different. So you, we just, Oregon State just comes off playing Washington State. That's just more of a throw heavy, heavy offense. And now they're going against a team that's more of a run, run first, um, totally different, totally different with a mobile quarterback. So yeah. um, that's, that's going to be interesting. So defensively, do you see any chinks in their, in their armor on defense? Um, haven't really done a full watch of all their games, but through watching the Florida game and um, watching part of the UCLA game, haven't gotten the chance to watch the whole thing yet. I'm, you're hard pressed to find a, you know, their defensive tackles led by um, Junior Tafuna are strong. They're, there's a guy who was a first-team all-conference preseason pick, I think. He's a big guy who's going to plug the middle. Um, their defensive ends, Jonah Ellis, three-and-a-half sacks on Saturday. He's going to get after the quarterback. He's probably their their best defensive lineman. Their linebackers even, um, Lander Barton, who's Cody Barton's brother, and then Karane Reed are as good as it gets in the Pac-12. And the secondary is led by Cole Bishop. He's a ball hawk. He's um, a junior. He's one of the better safeties in the conference. Um, the one thing would be cornerback potentially haven't really done a deep dive into them yet, but I know they did lose Clark Phillips to the NFL, who is a guy Heaver fans should know after his three interceptions against us last year. Um, so it's really just a well-rounded and a very well-coached defense. Um, coach Scally is a great defensive coordinator. He's one of the best. And I think he'll be the next Utah coach once coach Woodingham moves on. Don't, don't you see some similarities between Scally and Bray? I mean, and a, they're, yeah. they're both playing at their – or coaching at their alma mater. Alma mater, right? Yeah. Um, young, hungry. Um, I do, yeah. yeah. I, um, I feel like these teams are two that are very – I feel like this is the closest team in the country to Oregon State's, whether it's mentality-wise, just brand of football. It's it's run the ball and have a strong – a strong defense. Yeah. Eric F said passing game struggles or not. Utah has not played an offense as good as Oregon State's. Um, do you true. think, do you think Oregon State's going to be able to move the ball uh, downfield with, you know, throwing the ball this, this weekend? Um, I'm really <laughs> not feeling too optimistic, <laughs> really not feeling too optimistic because at this point we haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to be a Debbie downer or anything, but this Utah's defense is better than anyone Oregon State's played. And they're going to come out and hit, and they're going to try and just hit Oregon State in the mouth. And they're going to have Oregon State's going to have to establish running the ball early to set up that passing the ball down the field. But, but I really do think, I, I mean, this is, and it's been the same really for the past several years. The, the blueprint's out there. If you want to stop Oregon State's yeah. offense, is stop the run, load the box, stop the run, and make them beat you with your arms. So um, I do like Oregon State's chances probably more so than I have the past couple years with, with having DJ back there, but um, they haven't showed, they haven't showed it yet. Um, what are your, what is your key one or two keys to the game that what does OSU have to do in order to come out Friday night party in the USA? I think they have to make Utah one dimensional, um, keep the ball out of the air, especially if Cam rising plays because Oregon State's secondary is the weak link on this team. The front seven appears to be the strength. They need to make, Utah, run the ball, keep it out of the air. And then offensively, I think Damian, Damian and Deshaun, they need to get themselves established early because um, this is going to be a physical game. Oregon State in the trenches, they have to establish themselves as the dominant line. Otherwise, 
Utah's defensive line is capable of really bullying anyone in the country, and it could be a long day if the run game gets taken away from Oregon State on top of a struggling pass game. Okay, so one question, kind of back to the Washington State. When I was watching the game, Oregon State was trying to go outside on all their runs. That's not the strength of this team. That's not the strength mind. of the team. And, and so, and the Washington State defensive ends were their two best. Are their two best players on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but in the comments, we Oregon State does need to find some way to get the passing game going because Utah will yeah crush them if Oregon State becomes one dimensional. I agree. Um, I, if Oregon State needs TJ to play his best game if they want to beat this team, in my mind. Do you go? Um, do you try to go some more hurry up? Let DJ just play a little street ball, or do you continue to try to? I go tempo and try and get guys involved in ways they haven't been. You know, the fly sweep hasn't been a big factor, and Gould and Bolden are both guys that are fast enough. I mean, Anthony Gould scored a touchdown on a fly sweep against Utah in twenty one, um, and then uh, tight ends too is another thing. I feel like you you've got to get those guys involved because. Utah's corners, they'll press up, they'll be physical, and that could cause trouble for Anthony and Silas. And if you get Jack or Jermaine or Briley or Caulfield in his matches, then it could be an advantage for DJ to get the ball to a bigger, to a bigger body target that easily creates separation. Okay. You guys heard it here. And uh, stick with Beaver Blitz all week. Um, Jake will be having his matchup analysis with Utah more deep dives into uh, the Utah Utes and how they actually pair up against Oregon State. Um, Jake, do you have time for a few questions? We have some mailbag yeah. questions. Let's do okay. it. Let's do it. Okay, I'm, I'm jumping on Beaver Blitz here. We got um, quite a few here. Um, so Iversoth, Iversoth um, has a couple. Um, do you think the defensive staff relied a little too much on their game plan from last year against the Cougars? It felt like they weren't expecting uh, Cam Ward to stay calm in the pocket and make the throws. That's a good question. Um, that's actually a great question. You know, I do feel like what worked last year worked, and they may have kind of stuck with that. But Washington State had a new offensive coordinator, and, and um, Ben Arbuckle it was a different scheme. And Ward looked way more comfortable. He was able – and I don't know whether it was – Last year in week one, or in the first drive or two, he was kind of pressured early. He didn't have time, and it kind of flustered him the rest of the game. Whereas first two drives of this game, he had, uh, I want to say, 130 yards and two touchdowns. Um, and then that, it flustered Oregon State. So Yeah, um, it was it was like the roles were reversed yeah. from last year. And I do think Washington State skill players are also, at least at the receiver spot, are way better. And Washington State's best receiver didn't even play. Yeah, no, he he was out with a he got or a hurt foot. on the hold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is um, another aspect. Yeah, but their other guys did just Kelly fine. Um, um, was the Wazoo game a wake up call and the Beavs right the ship on the way to the Pac twelve championship, or a warning sign and they struggle for a bowl game? I think it's a common. I think it's in the middle. I think this is a wake up call, but I don't think I see with the difficulty of this Oregon State schedule that we really didn't foresee in the preseason. We didn't see a lot of these teams being as good as, good as they are. I think Oregon State finishes at eight and four, nine and three. I, I still think they make a bowl game comfortably. Um, I, I I hope it is a wake-up call and it really lights a fire under their butts and they can um, run the table the rest of the way, but it's going to be a tough road. So I'm hopeful that that happens. Um, Matt Chiafoni who usually is asking if Oregon State's going to take six or seven Juco D tackles, wants to know if Oregon State is looking to take six or seven big body Juco wide receivers in this class. Yeah, I mean, recruiting, I know they have two committed and they're both bigger bodies. Halakai Durant, 6'1", and then the local kid, um, Eddie Froof, 6'4", but he's more of a project than Halakai. Um, Again, they have the big guys on the on the roster. They're called tight ends. Yeah. Ring Terry and Jack Belling. It does seem, based off their offer list, they're tending to go in with more of the bigger guys now, just looking at 25 and 26 and even 24, um, which is interesting to see uh, that the fans' prayers may be getting answered there. Um, he also – okay. I, I don't like to – I you know, we talked about coaches a little bit, but um, what are your what's your thoughts on Tibisar and his game calling? You mean Trent? 
I'm not sorry, not no, not Tibisar, Lindgren. sorry, the Lindgren, sorry. Lindgren. Yeah, <laughs> I remember which comment that was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I thought it was questionable at times. I thought in the fourth quarter after the after this the first touchdown drive in the fourth quarter, it was much better. Um, which again was allowing the tempo, the two minute drill that was DJ kind of doing what DJ does. Um, but there was almost a lack of urgency down three scores running the ball um, in, in the third, in the late third and the early fourth quarter. I feel like at that point you have to start playing from behind, which Oregon state may not be built to do. They're built to play from ahead and run the ball. Um, so that was a little frustrating, to see, frustrating to watch because um, it did take away time and time was crucial as Oregon state, they ran out of time. If they had another drive, who knows how that game goes. So it was Frustrating at times. Um, he also said, and I actually made the same comment. Um, he said, I stated it in the game thread that OSU's offense with DJ should look more like the 2009-2010 U of O under Chip Kelly. Run the ball 50-ish times a game with about 15 passes or so and use the QB's arms and legs outside the pocket. I said the same thing. I, I think that is where yeah. DJ's strength is and let him, um, yeah, ma- let him run it a little more street ballish, you know, like yeah. go out and use his arms, legs, yeah. improvise. Um, that's where I think um, trying to make him a pocket passer um, is fine when you have a lot of weapons. But um, I, I think one of, we're we're kind of missing an entire weapon in DJ, in mm-hmm. that he can improvise and he's big enough and hard enough to bring down. Let him run. Um, let's see. Parabeev says there's obviously a lot of rumbling um, on the offensive play calling. He thought play calling was fine if the passing game was even average. Um, Should we be concerned, however, that we've had good talent in the QB room for the last three years and almost completely unable to throw the ball? Do you feel that QBs are being underdeveloped? I wouldn't necessarily say undeveloped. I just feel like the the talent of the Oregon State receivers compared to what we've seen as Beaver fans isn't what it used to be. Um, Anthony and Cyrus are great receivers, but they're 5'8". They're limited. Uh, they Nothing they can do about it. Um, this is an Oregon State team that doesn't have a Brandon Cooks or an Isaiah Hodgins or a um, even a Luke Musgrave where, I, I, again, I think last year if Musgrave doesn't get hurt, Chance Nolan maybe doesn't struggle the way he does just having that NFL starting tight end caliber player. I, I don't really know if Oregon State has any NFL um, ready at the moment guys on their roster in, in, in the last three years outside of Husgrave, but he was hurt. So, yeah, yeah. And we didn't, I yeah. I mean, that. when he was yeah. playing, he didn't look like an, I mean, body wise he did, but he yeah. wasn't making the catches. Yeah. I mean, I kind of go back to that question we got in the mailbag. I, got, I think it was before fall camp even started. It was like, would you rather have Isaiah Hodgins or Stephen Pye on, on this year's team? And I, I, I Isaiah Hodgins. You did say Hodgins. I, I said Pye. I feel like this receiving core on – if they need a 6'4 guy, that's to me. I just – they need that. And if Isaiah if we had an, if we had an Isaiah Hodgins on this team, that guy who can go out and get you 1,000 yards a season and 15 touchdowns, it, it's just a, what this team needs. So his other comment was that Beaver Nation needs to give credit to Washington State's receivers. I tend to think that Saturday night was a motivation problem, maybe from playing three soft teams and not a skill problem. Bray's scheme worked. We saw that in the second half when players executed. Is the secondary unit going to bounce back or wither? It's a tough question. I do feel like these next two games uh, are going to be more, are against more run heavy teams and it's going to allow the Oregon State secondary more time to kind of, come into their own and get more comfortable because they won't have to deal with guys throwing the ball 35 times a game. At least I would expect, I don't see foresee Utah or Cal throwing the ball that much. Um, and by the time UCLA comes around, Dante Moore's going to, he's going to spin the football around. So they got to be locked in and ready to go by then. So I'm hoping they are able to grow and, and really just grow up a lot over these next two games. Um, RDU Beaver says, and this this is an interesting one. I don't know if you looked at it beforehand, but which of the following stats are you and Jake most surprised by through four weeks? A, Damian Martinez with only one total TD. B, DJU completion percentage at 57%. C, tight ends with only 12 total catches. 
or D, Bolden and Gould averaging less than one rushing attempt a game? I, I did not see this question. This is my that was my first time hearing okay. that. Um my mind goes to C. Um I feel like Oregon State needs needs to get their Titans involved. And Riley Sharp for the most part, his three of his four catches had been in garbage time. Um yeah, exactly. Against UC Davis and San Jose State. So really if it's an important like football where the game is still competitive, that's that number's down to nine. Yeah. And Again, well, and then like, today's news that Oregon State's Jake longtime left. Yeah. Jake Overman is leaving the program. Um, that's, a, that's a big locker room loss. I, I feel yeah. like you'll be hard-pressed to find a guy who's more um, valued in the locker room than Jake Overman. He's a guy who always, you know, works his ass off, really. And he was a great blocker. He didn't get as many targets as maybe he wanted to, but he was a, a guy. He kind of reminded me of Tegan Katoriano, just a – hard-working blocker-type player who had a, a really good career at Oregon State. Okay, so out of those those five uh, or four um, choices, and you said tight ends, that's what you're mm -hmm. most surprised about, which of those is most concerning to you? Is it the tight ends still with only 12 catches? It's the, the tight ends and the fly sweeps, in yeah, my mind. I agree. Gould and Bolden, they have what? A combined three carries, I think. Uh, I think Saz yeah. has two, Gould has one. Yeah. And... That's something that Oregon State's offense has relied upon. I mean, yeah. Silas especially. I mean, I mean, both of them have scored touchdowns off that. They've proven it as a – and I don't know maybe if that was because in past years they were playing more of a complementary role and the coaches don't want them to get hurt. But even then, Josiah Irish is a guy who's fast. Even Zach Card, a freshman, he's yeah. the fastest guy on the team. It just – to me, the playbook hasn't been very creative outside of – the Josh Gray touchdown and it needs to start broadening its horizons, especially against Utah because their their defense is the really the ideal defense to have in the in the conference. Yeah, I mean that's just it. I mean if if you're going to have all this whole um, a selection of small fast guys, you need to figure out a way to get the ball to them in space mm -hmm. and let their let their speed show. They're not going to win, you know hand fights with DBs. Six, two corners. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just not going to happen. So you need to get the ball to them in space. And by not doing so, I mean, yeah, I, I just, I, that's probably my most puzzling one right now. And that's probably my, that, and like you said, the tight ends, because that's, they're, they're complimentary in a way because mm -hmm. Oregon State doesn't have a lot of tall, bigger body receivers. So all along, all August, Jake and I were saying, look for the tight ends. Mm -hmm. And then Jermaine Terry was a guy we, we thought the coach staff was going to ride in the red zone and he has one catch and it was like the very first drive or second drive of game one. And then Jack Velling has proven and himself. Jack Velling, as a red yeah. zone threat. And he's, he's been good if, when they've gotten him the ball, you know, he had a 30 yard catch against San Diego state. He's got two touchdowns on the year. I think, I think Oregon state needs to get both Velling and Terry the ball a lot more. Um, it's going to be crucial if they want to come, if they do, want to still compete for a Pac-12 title appearance. Agree. Well, goodness, we blew through that hour. Um, Beavers, Utah, Friday night, 6 p.m. at Research Stadium. If you're not there, get there. Um, standing room only tickets remain um, because it's going to be hopefully one for the ages. Jake and I will be covering this, um, this matchup all week at beaverblitz.com. We will be back next week. Uh, for the damn podcast Monday at three 30, we have to switch it. Now with school starting, we'll be going Mondays at three 30 to four 30. Um, hope to see you guys all back here. And uh, he's Jake Hedberg. I'm Angie Machado and uh, make sure to follow him at on Twitter. What's your, your Twitter handle, Jake? Uh, at Hedberg Jake, I think. At Hedberg Jake. I'm Angie Machado one. And we'll be back next week for another episode of the damn podcast. <laughs>
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 